You are listening to the Hope Fellowship Church Podcast. To find more information about our church and ministries, check out our website at hopeandanderson.com. Now, this week's teaching. So today we begin our summer series with you teaching through, well, the book of Jonah. A short book, but we have six Sundays we will spend in this book. It is such a powerful, powerful book. But we want to give you some help in your study One each week, as you know, normally you get notes uh, when you come in the door. And then also we have a journaling guide for you as well. And inside the journaling guide is a reading guide. So it will give you in advance all of the text for each week. So you can kind of read up as well. Short book. You can read through it every week if you want to. All six Sundays. It's a great book as well. And um, then there, there is also a QR code on the back that you can scan with your phone to go to our weekly digest, which is on hopeandanderson.com, our website. And you can go there and find some discussion questions for your private time or maybe your small groups uh, um, as well. So thank you so much for taking advantage of these. The, the journals are on the table as you're leaving at the Welcome Center, so stop by and grab one before you get out of here today. So welcome to the book of Jonah. And so today, part one, and it's simply titled, The Book of Jonah is Not a Story About a Great Fish. Now, I want to start there for a reason, and and let me kind of just lay this out for you, because I think sometimes we confuse this with just a really great story for kids, and it's even been hijacked by certain people like Disney, right, who hijacked it and created this story, a part of it around that of Pinocchio. And so it's not Pinocchio. It's not, it's not some animated kind of event. But I wanted to bring this in light of his historical value to you this morning and to let you know that this is a real story about real people who are in a real situation in life, that of Jonah, and that of real decisions that we make. And sometimes we get on the right boat and sometimes we get on the wrong boat and so it's really a a great story for you and I to to wrap our mind around so let me give you some biblical foundation for the book of Jonah to just kind of calm any questions I think this morning about that of it not being a parable as some people have said so the book of second Kings chapter 14 and verse 25 it says that he restored the border of Israel to Lemo-Hamath um, as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the word of the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. Now, what I realize is that this is the very same prophet that we read about in this very short book, the book of Jonah. He said, but Mark, I want something a little more substantial, maybe, than way back in the book of 2 Kings. Well, good, I have one for you as well. It's Matthew chapter 12 and verse 39. These are the words of Jesus, and it says, But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign shall be given to it except the sign of, here it is, the prophet Jonah, one and the same. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So we find Jonah mentioned in the very same sentence as that of the resurrection of Christ. The men of Nineveh who will rise up at the judgment with all this generation and condemn it, for they repented 
at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So we find it also there's this messianic reference to Christ and who he is through this of the message of Jonah. So we dispel the myth that Jonah is a parable, but it is amazing truth. It is amazing truth. So why all the fuss over Nineveh? And why all over the fuss over these Ninevite people? Well, let me give you some context for a moment. Because context is everything, as we say. Let me tell you first about the city of Nineveh, and then tell you about the people, the Ninevites. First of all, the city of Nineveh in the ancient world at this time was the largest city on the planet. It was the largest city on the earth at that moment. So big that the book of Jonah tells us it took Jonah three days to walk from one side of the city to the other. The walls were so wide that you could run three chariots abreast on the walls. It was a massive city. It is the capital of Assyria, home of the Assyrians, who are the arch enemies of Israel. So not only is it a massive city, but yet it is also an extremely wicked city because of the cruelty and the wickedness of that of the Ninevite people. In fact, what we know about them from ancient writings is that the Ninevites perfected a a, uh, procedure of torture, and that is that they could take a human body while a person was living and breathing. They could completely skin the human without them dying. They would bury them in the desert up to their neck. They would pull their tongue out, stake it into the ground, and they would watch them thirst to death. You say, no wonder Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, right? Who's on the boat to Nineveh? No, I'm not on the boat to Nineveh. I'm going anywhere else but to that kind of people. When they were to invade a city, they would murder most everyone in the city. They would rape all the women regardless of their age. They would take all the soldiers and impale them. They would skin people and then attach their skins to the outside of the city walls to anybody that would attempt to oppose them. It would place great fear because they worked off of a concept of fear. Of all intents and purposes, they were ancient terrorists is what they were. No wonder he didn't want to go, right? And now you're retracting all your judgment when it comes to dear old Jonah about why he doesn't want to go. In fact, you want to simply help him lace up his running shoes, call him an Uber to get him to the airport so he can get on his flight to Tarshish, correct? Because this is a story about real people and about real circumstances and real decisions and how they make those decisions and how that you can be a prophet of God. That means that you can have a relationship with God, believe in God, you can love God, yet your heart is not fully surrendered to God. And that's the story of Jonah. That's why I think it makes it so touchable for all of us in this room. Now, not only that, but Nineveh's call, or Jonah is called to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is about 240-mile trip for him. But to go to Tarshish is 2,400 miles. In fact, Tarshish was known at, to be the end of the world, the end of the earth. So what do you mean? Jonah chooses to go to the ends of the earth to get away from God. And I know perhaps some of you tried that at some point in your life, right? Not only is he, well, he's a reluctant prophet. He's a really ambitious prophet as well in how he runs from God. So let me ask you a question before we kind of get into this teaching. How many of you have ever 
This is a good time, you know, if your parents are here, perhaps it's a good time to confess this. How many of you have ever ran away from home? Raise your hand if you've ever run away from home. Anybody? Ah, some of you have. Ah, that's good. Hey, more of you in this service than first service. So here's the other question. How many of you have ever thought about running away from home? You just didn't have the guts to do it. Raise your hand. Yeah? Terrific. Good. Right? How many of you are... 40 years old and have three kids and you've been thinking about running away from home. No, don't answer that, right? Because that's not good, correct? That's not a good thing, yeah. So, you know, we are the parents of three sons and um, one of our sons decided that he would run away from home years ago and, and I'm thinking he was maybe, he was really young, like five or six years old. He was a young guy, right? And that son uh, was our oldest, Chadwick. And so he came to Reba and I, and he told us, we were living in Michigan, and he told us that he wanted to run away from home, and my immediate response was, fine, let me help you. Is what it was, because you know, you want to call their bluff, right? Okay, and so we get his little suitcase out, it says, going to grandma's, you know, it's one of the little hard case suitcases, the hard side suitcases. We pack some things in there, we take him to the door. He gives us a hug goodbye, and he says goodbye. We let him out the door. The door shuts behind him, and we watch him walk down the sidewalk of our house toward the street to the sidewalk, to the, to the actual sidewalk. And, and, you know, we're thinking as parents, right, that, dude, he's, he's going to turn around any moment. He's going to come running back to us because we know he's going to be scared to death. He never turned around. He never did. He just kept walking, Right? And so, you know, my thought was, ah, he'll come home in a minute, right? Just let him walk for a while. And of course, Reba being the mother, no, you've got to go get him. We go get him. We bring him in and we love on him and talk to him. And, and so, you know, here's the story. Here's the story of a man who is, is very weak, I think, in so many ways in his life, Jonah, and God calls him to go to Nineveh, and now we kind of understand why he makes this decision, right? But I think that because of the character, it makes it so touchable for us. It's why I call it the story that we all know, yet none of us really know it. Because there's so much here for us to wrap our mind around. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying. So I have two very short thoughts this morning. And the first one is this. The book of Jonah is applicable or applicable, however you want to say it. Both are correct to all of us. It is something that truly touches an area of our life at some point. It is. Because what we have is we have this opportunity as we read this short book. To be reminded that God is in the details of our life. And I think we see sometimes God as this sovereign and massive deity who is so busy with everything in this world, especially our world that seems to be wanting to pull apart at the seams, that God is so busy that he really is not aware of all the things in our life. And so what I understand about this book is that God is in the details of our lives. God is in the absolute details of our life that he does have a plan. And so what the book of Jonah is, it's an antidote for a theological concept called deism. 
And what deism says is it's the belief in a supreme being who does not intervene on behalf of humanity. But life is navigated by human reasoning alone. So we have God, and we know that there is a God, but God does not take time to intervene in the daily issues of our life. So if Jonah, this book, is not a book about a great fish, what is it? The book of Jonah is a story about God. That's what you have to see. That the book of Jonah is this powerful story about God. And in it, there are no characters that have these mighty exploits of Daniel or David or Paul or none of those kinds of things at all. But there's this weak man who we find himself in opposition to the will of God. Have you ever been there? Have you ever found yourself in opposition to the will of God? And I say that perhaps many of you have in here. But you're saying to me, Mark, I, I'm not on a boat to Tarshish, no, you know, right? You know, I'm not just thrown everything to the wind in my life, and I, I bought a ticket to someplace I'm not supposed to be going. I'm not there. Let me tell you that for those of you that are not on that boat yet, then the book of Jonah covers you as well. Because Jonah just wanted to be selective. You see this because he's a prophet. That's what his business card says. But Jonah just wanted to be selective in what he wanted to submit to the will of God. So what he's saying is this, God, here's the thing. I'm going to give you 60% of my life, but then there's 40% of my life that I'm going to hold back for myself. And God, 60 is better than 50. So, you know, you should be really satisfied with that alone. And, and listen, God, there has to be people in Tarshish that need to know about you. So I'm going to go over there to Tarshish and I'm going to preach to them instead of going to Nineveh. You know what we call that? It's called compromise. It's called compromise. We're trying to strike a deal with God. I wrote in my journal this week, partial obedience is still full-blown obedience. And we have to wrap our mind around that understanding that partial obedience is still full-blown disobedience. That this is not about you negotiating a deal with God. This is a narrative about surrender. And it's about a surrender of your heart in its totality to the will of God. Well, Mark, since you brought this thing up about the will of God, I don't even know what the will of God is for my life. And I think it's a phrase that we've used in church so many times that it's almost become like this ethereal idea. It's sort of like a smoke that you can't ever wrap your hands around. And so we hear it and we kind of just let it blow away from us because we really don't understand it. And so I, I believe there's many in this room this morning that are there. They're there. That you don't have a a definite city that God has spoke to you about like Nineveh. That's not it. But I believe that the will of God in our lives many times is as much about the direction that our life is going as it is about the destination for our life. Because what I realize is this, that, that Jonah's issues... They don't start with a great fish. They don't, not at all. But Jonah's issue starts at the kiosk when he's buying the ticket to get away from God. That's where the issue begins. And so when I kind of begin to wrap my mind around this, 
what I realize is that in this life, there's always going to be a ship available with a ticket just for you sailing in the wrong direction. So God's will for our life is as much about direction as it is about the destination. It's about trusting him. It's about relying on him. It's about knowing that God is for you and not against you. It's knowing that God is committed for your good to work all things together for your betterment and for your good. It's understanding the very nature and the character of God. It's why we teach on that so much here at Hope Fellowship because that's where the journey begins. The journey begins at the kiosk where you buy the ticket long before you ever get swallowed by a great fish. So what are you saying? It starts with my confidence in God. It starts with my trust in God, that I'm going to rely on you, Lord, and I'm going to trust in you because I know your character and nature, and I know that you have the best laid out for me in my life. And for some of you today, and you are really struggling with the will of God for your life, then maybe the will of God for your life is to trust him and to just get up every morning and to do the next thing and to know that God has a very good plan for your life. Because just knowing that God has a plan for us is at times all we have to fall back on. And that's enough. That's enough. Can you wrap your mind around that for a moment? Because I I think when we use this term, the will of God, then, then I'm going to sit over here until God gives me this city. You know, God gives me the name and then that's then I'm going to determine whether I go or whether I don't and what ticket I'm going to buy. And I'm not moving here until God gives me that name. And I think that many times that, that understanding of the will of God for my life begins with direction. And that direction has to do with my heart and how I'm trusting God and how I'm having confidence in God. And I'm knowing that God has a plan for my life. And until I know the city, until God sends me an email that says, hey, you go to Nineveh until that moment. I'm relying and I'm resting in the fact that God has a plan. God has a plan. Wow. I also learned that God doesn't always give us the details, right? Yes. So, so when we travel... We travel, and I've told you this before. I just it just came to my mind that we always use an app, and it's called Waze. And then there's an app on your phone called Maps, right? That's right. So, um, how many people use Waze? Let me let me see your hand. Anybody use Waze? Nobody knows what that is. Anybody use Maps? Okay. Well, oh, good. Well, some of you do, right? I'm not talking about the kind you fold out. Okay, you know, I'm not talking about those. Those are in a museum, you know. So I don't know, right? But that's not what I'm talking about. But how many have ever distrusted the person on apps? Now, our waves, my son Grayson, he changes some time ago to it's a guy that talks like a dog and he barks, right? I don't know. Have you ever, I don't know if you didn't know you could do that. And, and he says, like, there's, a, there's something up ahead. I hope they have a bone. And he barks like that, right? So, and it's so irritating. It, it really is. I haven't figured out how to change it back yet. Yeah. Yeah. I want the I want the Mr. T voice that says turn left fool. You know, I don't know, but they do have one of those. I just haven't found out how to use that one yet. But but I'm the world's worst in not trusting her. Isn't that right, babe? 
Yeah, we're, tra- we're traveling down 85, you know, and, and she says, exit off this exit. Well, that's not where I'm going, right? But she says, exit. No, I don't want to exit because that's not where I'm going. You're mistaken. Something's wrong. And what I realize is that because how that app works in measuring cell phone usage ahead, that there's a cluster of cell phone signals ahead. And so that means there's traffic, right? Now listen, how many times has God spoken to you about his will for your life and he's saying get off on this exit and you saying, God I'm not going to do that because that's not where I'm going and God says get off on this exit and you say no and then God says okay then go on right yeah just just go on enjoy yourself four hours sitting in traffic right enjoy yeah Because the will of God is as much about direction as it is about destination for your life. So how are you trusting him? Because I believe that Jonah, when he was standing at the ticket kiosk in Joppa, that maybe this story would have been different if he'd had a moment to step back and say, God, let me pray for a minute. Lord, let me remind myself of the things that I know as a prophet about you. Let me remind myself that as a good Jewish boy that you are Adonai and nobody runs from Adonai because Adonai is all present. That there is no place that God does not exist. So this is very futile for me to try to run from you. And let me pray, God, and let me have confidence to do what you call me to do. Wow. Have you ever bought a ticket and got on the wrong boat? Sure. We have done that. So here's what God says to him in verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. So here's the thought, that God's plan does not always take us to a place of comfort, but it will always bring us fulfillment. God's plan does not always take us to a place of comfort, but it will always bring us fulfillment in life. Oh, and I think it would be remiss for me to not talk about the Ninevites for a moment. Because when I begin to look at this narrative, these short three verses, what I realize is that God has this interest in the Ninevites. God is interested in the Ninevites. And when I look at that, what I realize is that he has chosen the most evil and cruel people on the face of the earth to send send um, Jonah too. Why? Because God wants to express to you what he's interested in. Because if he chooses the top tier, the most evil and wicked people on the face of the earth, and he says to Jonah, I want you to go and I want you to preach against their sins because it's come up to me. God's interested in them. Then that covers everything else below that. And when I look at that, what I realize is this, that I don't have a latitude in my life and I don't have the ability to choose to say, okay, here's a group of 
people that I'm going to love, and here's a group of people that I'm not going to love. Here's a group of people that I'm going to say, God, you judge them because that's what they need, and then I'm going to love all these other people over here that are kind of easier to love in my life. God never gave me the latitude to make those choices. That's why he chose to love the Ninevites, because he chose to love those that were the most evil on the face of the earth, and it brings it all the way down to anybody else in life, because here's what God says. He wants us to have a heart. God wants us to have a heart for the things that matter to him. Now, let me talk about that for a moment. Because a surrendered heart is having a heart for the things that matter to God. So if the Ninevites matter to God, then the Ninevites must matter to me. Can I get an amen? Do you know what you're saying amen to? All right. Because what that means is this, that I can't choose to reach certain groups of people and not reach other groups of individuals. I can't call out certain groups of people and people groups in our culture and, I, and, and say to them, hey, here's the thing, that they've gone way past the grace of God, so they're not reachable, and I can't say, and I'm not comfortable to having a conversation with them either about where they are. That's, it eliminates all of those kinds of things. It brings me back to the heart of God and the will of God. It's Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God is interested in the Ninevites. So since you said amen, that just opens the door for me to ask you a great question. Frame this question as if you were Jonah for a moment. Who or what people group have you declared to be your Ninevites? Because Jonah never wanted to go to them. All he wanted God to do was judge them. Think about it. Who? Ah, it gets quiet, doesn't it? Yes. What if I had you turn to your neighbor and tell them who your Ninevites were? That would be, yeah, you wouldn't want to do that. That would make this room extremely uncomfortable. Why? Because I know that. So who is it? Is it those people that have been incarcerated? Because you say, well, they're getting judgment by you know our, our society and God. Or is it those that are displaced in our society? Oh, wait a minute. We're about to go into a new political cycle. Aren't you excited about that? Absolutely. All the commercials and all that. So is it somebody of an opposing political party to you? Wow, you guys reacted about that just like first service did. You got quiet on me, right? Yes, it gets very quiet. Absolutely. Is it the is it the 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 LGBTQ plus community? Oh, I don't want to have a conversation about that. No. I have to talk about this because the Bible talks about this. And God says, hey, here's the deal. He's not, he's not singling out for you and I as we take this and place it over our world. He's not singling out and say, oh, these, these are Ninevites and these are not Ninevites. He has chose the worst people on the planet. And he simply says that covers everybody else, even down to you and I and everyone else in this room and everyone that you're going to come in contact with today and understand this, that God is interested in all of us and God is interested in sinners, just like you and I. 
Those of you in the room that gossip and lie and lust and hate your neighbor, you refuse to forgive, and you choose to not ever show generosity to anyone. Because a surrendered heart is having a heart for the things that matter to God. And this matters to God. That God loves the Ninevites to such great extent that he sends them a prophet and he sends them a prophet with truth is what he does. When I read this text, what I realized is that God thought the most compassionate thing for the Ninevites was to send a prophet to them to call out against their sins. Wow. You're not going to fill up a church, right? If we send out an advertisement to you, maybe Wednesday before that Sunday, and we send this out on social media and say, hey, come on, come on, because Mark is going to be calling out against your sins Sunday morning, so you got to come. Make sure you come get a donut and coffee and get a good seat, right, for that, because you want a good calling out service, right? And, and nobody's going to stand in line for that, but God saw that as the most compassionate thing that he could do for them, because again, God is interested in, in, the, in, the, in the Ninevites, and when I look at this, what I realize is that God expresses a very powerful New Testament concept here in the Old Testament. And so what he does, he shows them great love by sending them a prophet and he speaks truth to them because he calls out their sins. It's the New Testament process or concept of truth and love. And from truth and love, repentance is realized. Wow. Do I love people around me that I don't understand, that I don't agree with, who I believe biblically are sinful? Do I do I love them enough to speak truth and love to them? Or do I believe that God has called me to avoid them. And through my avoidance, they're going to know that God loves them. And if you believe that avoidance works that way, then Jonah was on the right ship heading to Tarshish. But we know that's not true. It's a powerful thought. To love all people, to hate all sin. To not hate people at all, but to love all people and to hate all sin. Can I tell you where that love all people, hate all sin starts? It starts in your own heart by hating your sin first. That's where it begins. So can I continue? Verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. And so he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So I had this question, and the question is, can you actually flee from God? Is that possible? Can you actually flee from God? 
because there's more to this story, I think, than what we know. It says that he flees to Tarshish. And when I read this, the word flee that he uses in there in the Old Testament in Hebrew, it's a word that has a powerful connotation about impulse. In other words, this is not a great plan, right? Because here he is. He is a prophet. He's a good Jewish boy. He's always been taught the attributes and that of the understanding of who Adonai is. And Adonai is a God who is everywhere, that he is omnipresent. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. And so that you cannot get away from God. He is Adonai. And so how does he move away from this? How he does this? Because this is an impulse on his part that he finds a ship going to Tarshish. Was he ever really planning to go to Tarshish? I don't know. But it seems to lead us in this way that he finds a way. He's just wanting to get away from God. How far have you attempted to run from God? How far have you attempted? Because what impulse has driven you to your Tarshish in this life? I think this is a dangerous impulse that Jonah has. And most of the time in this life, when you and I do something out of impulse, it usually doesn't end up very well, correct? It doesn't. So he says he found a ship going to Tarshish. Can I talk to you about impulse for a moment? We tie all this together. We pray. So here's three things about impulses. I want you to see how these things match up to your own life. An impulse may be courageous, and wrong simultaneously. Now, let me explain it to you. Because I think we try to justify our impulses at times. That Jonah pays a fare. So there's a sacrifice for his trip. He sets out on a voyage to the end of the earth. Is what they thought it was. He is absolutely courageous in this move of his. So an impulse can be courageous and wrong simultaneously. Yet, yet it's, it's wrong the whole thing is wrong, is what we see here. It is. It sort of takes us back to this whole thought. If it feels so right, then how can this be so wrong in my life, right? Yes, it makes me happy. How can this be so sinful for me in my life? It's self-denying and brave and still disobedience. You been there? Sure you have. An impulse may lead to freedom, but that freedom is short-lived. It is. Look at Jonah. He's free at last from the will of God. He's, he's, he's home free. In fact, when you read later in the book of Jonah that he's asleep in the inner part of the ship and there is a storm that's going to rage and you know, eventually, spoiler alert, you know, he gets cast into the sea, gets swallowed up by a great fish. And so, but yet he's asleep inside of the, of the ship. Why? Because he's at peace. Interesting. Mark, I just kind of feel at peace about this in my life. Is that what you're running off of? And if that's what you're running off of, you can be easily deceived. I'll tell you why. Because there is a peace that God gives us, yes, as it lines up with Scripture. And then there's a peace that we have sometimes that's based upon ourselves. Because really what it is, we just feel better. It's not necessarily a peace at all. So the third is this. An impulse may lead you to doing something that you might condemn in others. Jonah's a good prophet. Jesus has mentioned him. Absolutely. He's mentioned in the book of 2 Kings. Would Jonah have advised any other prophets in his prophet group appears to do what he's doing? Absolutely not. Running from God will take you places you would never want others to go. So how do you manage impulses in your life? 
How do you manage those desires of your hearts? You submit them. You submit them to what? You submit them to the will of God. You say, Mark, that sounds like some semantic statement that just doesn't hold water. But let me bring it back to a place where you can start this journey. Because for you, for me, it starts at the ticket kiosk. It does. It starts with trusting God when you have just maybe a a, a direction only and you don't have a destination. It starts with trusting God when you just don't know where to take the next step, right? You don't know what to do when you come to the next corner or the next fork in the road that you just say, God, I'm going to trust you that you have a plan for my life and I'm going to lean into you. And so tomorrow I get up and I just do the next thing and I trust you as we said before, knowing that you have a perfect plan for my life. I think we say things to people in church sometimes and we don't ever tell them how to start it, right? We don't ever tell them how to, how to get it started. Yeah. It's like the first time that you bought a car and the car did not have a key, right? You know what I mean, right? And you get in and you're looking at the lot and you're saying, you know, where's the key, right? And and they said, no, it's got a push button thing on it, right? And so you, you realize that, oh, you don't have to have a key anymore. Now you have a fob and it stays in your pocket or whatever. And so I think we don't, we just don't tell people how to start this thing. The will of God is as much about direction as it is about destination. And it starts at the ticket booth. It starts at the ticket kiosk where you are going to say, God, I trust you. God, I trust you with my life. Because I know, God, that you are absolutely good. And so I'm going to lean into you for my life, God. He says that he wants to find this this away from the presence of God. It's not that just Jonah is running from the assignment. It's very clear that Jonah is running from God's presence. Because to get out of the presence of God would be to relinquish the voice of God in his life the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit in his life. And God loves us enough to relentlessly pursue runners. He does. So you think you can get away from God? David thought the same thing in the book of Psalms. And he said this in Psalm 139. He says, where shall I go? And this is our benediction each week, actually. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Shoal, you are there. And if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, he says, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You see, growing up in church, that I always, when I would hear the book of Jonah preached or taught, it was always painting God as God was some 
celestial bounty hunter that was hunting you down to bring you to justice, right? And so I had this vision of God as Dog the Bounty Hunter. Do you know who that is? You ever seen Dog? Yeah. Dog is the kind of guy that you want to take to a fight with you, right? I mean, he's just, just that kind of guy. And, and so I envisioned God as that. Well, maybe, hey, wouldn't it be a surprise if we get to heaven and God looks like dog? That would be, a, that'd be awesome, right? No, maybe not, but moving on, okay? But when I begin to maybe further digest the narrative, what I realize is that God is saying that I'm not finished with Jonah. That's the statement. God was not finished with Jonah. You see, yes, selective obedience is disobedience. No, I can't, I can't take that out of the Bible, retract that statement today. That's not possible. I can't take it out of the Bible either that the Lordship of Christ is absolute for our lives. I can't remove that because it is absolute. But what I want to say to you, that if you have ever gotten on the wrong ship because you bought the wrong ticket... Or if you find yourself on the wrong boat to Tarshish this morning, listen, God is not finished with you. He's not. God's not finished with you. God has a perfect plan for your life. That doesn't mean that you're not going to become... Fish food for a little while, right? True. Yes, that may happen. Things are going to happen as a result of your decisions. But I would say to you, rest in this, that God is not finished with you. And God has a plan for your life. God has a plan. Trust him. But Mark, I find myself at the ticket kiosk today you know i'm there at, at the port at joppa and and I, I don't know what to do and I, I i can't really discern god's will for my life and I, I just which way do i go and can i tell you something step back from the booth for a moment step back yeah take some time with god remind yourself of the things that you already know about him that he is good and he is perfect and he is kind and he is loving he brings direction to our lives. And he, as the good father, always, always advocates for the very best for you and I. Always. So trust him. And rest in him. That he has a plan. He has a plan. Oh. God is not finished with you. He's not. So can I pray with you and let's give God opportunity to speak to us this morning. So if you wouldn't mind just bowing your heads or closing your eyes or however you want to take a posture of prayer, just saying that quietly, 
those of you that are joining us at home online today, that if you would pray with us as well. And open your heart to allow the Holy Spirit to speak into you today. Because God knows where you are. God knows what ship you've taken and what ticket you bought. He knows. And the beautiful thing about God is he meets us right where we are. Amen? Even if it's with a great fish. Father, we take this time to pray before you as your children. But God, you know us. Lord, you know us even greater than we know ourselves because you are our creator and the sustainer of all creation. And so God, you know exactly where we are, pretense and and, and Lord, whatever we may pretend is going on in our life, God does not in any way sway you because you know us. So Lord, let this morning be a moment of total transparency before you from our hearts. Because God, some of us have struggled with your will for our lives for a long, long time. And God, we have failed to understand that it's just as much about direction as it is about destination. And God, our direction in this life is set by trusting you, leaning into who you are and your character and nature, to knowing that you do have a plan for our lives and to know that that plan is good for you. Work all things together for our good. So Father, we sit in that this morning. We just find us a place to just sit in that today and rest in that. Father, for those that find themselves on the wrong boat and they're in the middle of the ocean, God, may they be reminded by this amazing narrative and by you through the power of your Holy Spirit that you are not done with them yet. God, that you are working in their life and you are long-suffering. And God, you are committed to finishing what you have started within us. So God, we surrender to you. Father, may we begin with this understanding that a surrendered heart values the things that you value, God. And that's people. So God, forgive us for those moments that we have segregated certain groups of people and say, God, they deserve judgment as if somehow we don't deserve judgment ourselves. But God, help us to be like your plan with Jonah, that we speak truth in love, that avoidance is not a tactic to bring people to you, God but yet conversation, love, prayer, and truth. So, Father, forgive us of our prejudices. Forgive us of our prejudice in all forms or fashion. And, Father, may we love all people and hate the thing that you hate, and that is the sin that harms your children. So God, let us have 
your will in our life starting there today, Father. So, Father, today we surrender our hearts to you. No longer 60-40, God. No longer 70-30. We surrender our hearts to you entirely, Lord. And I realize, God, that's a journey for us, but it has to start somewhere. So, God, let that let that journey begin today where we say to you, God, I totally surrender my heart to you, God. Every area, every moment, every room, everything I've ever held, everything, every stronghold, I surrender to you today, God. Everything. God, have your will in my life. Whatever it costs, wherever it takes me. For your glory. All for your glory, Father. So I surrender my heart to you today. I may not understand everything about the journey. God, I may not even understand everything about you. But God, I do realize that I need help. And I can't manage this life on my own. So God, I surrender to you. Have your will in my life, Lord. Completely. Thank you, Father. Thank you for joining us for this week's teaching. We hope you have a great week.